You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Dice, how the hell are you, dude? Good to see you, man. How it's, are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I feel like it's been way too long. Living life, yeah. Probably a decade. <laughs> I think we've known each other a decade now. I I, I was so yeah. glad to reconnect with you after I tweeted that picture out of us uh, on stage at the TLA in mm-hmm. 2009. Uh, that is one of my favorite memories, I think, from anything I've ever done. Uh, mm. I remember I have two pictures actually. There's a second one where I'm, it's you and me on stage, and then you were like, "No, no, no, fuck this! Turn around!" and got the crowd shot. That remained <laughs> that remained my default photo for quite some time. So I just wanted to oh, say yeah. thank you for that. It's so. way better. You get the crowd. Yeah, you know? uh, totally, man. Yeah, you got to get the crowd shot. You got to get the action. That was a wild night. The only thing I really remember is a ton of Jake Busey uh, booze in the back. It was just mm. Jake Busey name all over it. So that's really oh, one yeah. of the few things I remember. But uh, how are things? You're in Nashville now. Yep. Yep. Down here in Nashville since uh, December of 2018. Um, I I actually just, just, just bought this house that I'm in now. Um, I I moved from Nashville to this little tiny town outside about 20 minutes away called Ashland City. Population 4,000. Tiny little town. One road in, one road out. Uh, But I love it. And it was the only place I could find a house uh, because Nashville's housing market is so crazy right now but put in, I think, 12 different offers and every single one of them would be turned down. They would ask 300 and I would say, well, here's 320. And they would say, sorry, somebody else offered 390 cash. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> sorry, can I swear? Uh, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Cuss away, man. That's what we do here yeah. on Foundation Radio. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but all I had to do was go outside the county line to the next little town over. First place I looked at, it was like brand new construction for a third the price. And they were like, yeah, totally, man. Yeah, we can have it ready for you next month. So just moved in, just getting my stuff set up. That's uh, that's actually kind of similar to what's happening here. We moved to Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh area uh, in October. Oh, cool. And we've been looking for houses just because our apartment's a little small and we want to try to like branch out. You know, I work where I live, so it makes things a little bit, you know, more difficult. But yeah, we've been looking, man. We haven't been able to find anything. The area we live in is so popular right now. As soon as a house yeah. comes up, it flies. And if you well, don't Pittsburgh's have full cash. Hot cities right now, for sure. Yeah, that's well, that's the reason I'm here. I came out here with my company for the fact mm-hmm. of kind of growing with them. And it's just been insane, man, to watch things go around here. But it's yeah. uh, it's been wild. Yeah. So hopefully, fingers crossed. I'm glad you were able to find something, though, that was Thank in you. that general area. What has been your your favorite? Because you're a you're a Massachusetts guy, right? That's where you grew yeah. up and up in that area. What has yep. been the biggest difference between Massachusetts and Nashville for you? Because I've I've only been to Nashville once. I went for a job mm-hmm. interview, all things. And it just was a it was a very different world for me. It was yeah. very, very different. What, how has it been for you transitioning down there? So Nashville is kind of a town of two different extremes. You, you have moments where you're like, oh, shit, I'm in the south. And then you have moments where you're like, oh, this is Las Vegas, but, you know, without the mountains uh, because of the honky tonks and Broadway and everything down here. Um, the biggest thing is like I'm at the grocery store just trying to check out, uh, you know, I'm in kind of a hurry person in front of me is having a long winded conversation with the cashier and like 
normally back home, the cashier will shoot you a glance in line and be like, I'm sorry, it's taking a little while. Here they don't care. Everything's just slower. Like you, you got to like pace yourself a little, which I'm not used to yet. But yeah, different pace. That's the death of us, though, in the Northeast Corridor, though, because everything, even here in Pittsburgh, I can say it's mm-hmm. kind of all the way out this way. Everything is just move, move, move. Everything's got to be fast down right. there. That was a really difficult thing, even in California for me, surprisingly, when we were mm-hmm. in Southern California about tw- 10 years ago. I went to yeah. buy a pack of smokes when I was a smoker and they were like, hey, man, you're in, you know, you're in California now. Take it easy. Don't move so fast. And I'm like, you know, me, yeah. the Philadelphia, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? But. <laughs> You know, it's just, it's crazy. And, it's so weird. And also give me $23 for the spec. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to need, I'm going to need $46. I got to mortgage my house for this, but, uh, <laughs> have you been to vinyl tap yet since you're, I know you're a music guy. I know you're into that kind of thing. Have you been Not to vinyl yet. tap? No. Man. Um, Grimey's is the big record shop down here that I've been to, uh, but not, uh, not that one. No. Yeah. You got to check that out. They'll, they'll serve you while you're there. They have an amazing mm-hmm. record uh, collection down there. So it's definitely something you want to check out. So Good. speaking of music, man, you know, your career has been going on for a pretty long time now. You were with, you started with all that remains. Is that right? Nope. Yep. Uh, 18 years old. Wow. 37, 30, 30 something now, 37, I think 83, <laughs> whatever that is. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've been, I'm almost at that point where I've been touring in bands playing professionally as long as I haven't been, you know, right. there's or, or more of my life has been spent playing music than not. So it's been it's been a long road. So how did how did exactly did all that remains sort of start to take off? What was that process like for you? And for someone who has never been in the music industry, what is that like for someone being 18 years old, maybe fresh out of high school and getting mm-hmm. signed to a major record label? Because you guys were you were on some pretty that was was a prosthetic, if I remember correctly. Right. Yeah, prosthetic, yeah. Um, razor and tie prosthetic. I think it was like the same thing. Um, but <laughs> so when I was 13, uh, Western Mass is is very weird. It's still the Northeast. It's still New England. You know, you, you got Boston an hour away. You got New York two hours south. But Western Mass is very small. It's a, it's a small little town. My guitar teacher was Ollie Herbert, the lead guitar player of All That Remains. When I was 13, um, I learned to play guitar from the dude in All That Remains. And, um, you know, he, he was a local legend at that point. Everyone knew he was going to be big someday, but... You know, it just is what it is. He was Ollie and he taught me how to shred, taught me everything about music theory. And years and years later, um, still taking lessons there. And at that point, All That Remains has started touring like regionally. And you, you can tell there's rumblings of some success there because Phil's old band, Shadows Fall, ended up taking off. Right. Um, and, you know, because of that, All That Remains was getting more work. And I remember Ollie was like, I don't know, kind of pissed off during a lesson. He was like, his head wasn't in it. I was like, what's, what's wrong? And he's like, our fucking bass player just quit. And uh, we have like shows coming up and all this stuff. And I jokingly said, I'll play bass for you. I don't, I don't care. And you know, a little punk kid. And he's like, can you, are you free this weekend? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, sure. um, you know, I'm still living with my parents at this point and you know, like most people do, but um it was just, it was wild. All of a sudden that weekend, um, you know, he had taught me like an eight song set and I, I think it was like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So <laughs> I had to take, uh, I had to take Friday and Monday off, uh, from Foot Locker. Uh, 
you know, 18 years old. They explained to my parents what I was doing. We get in the van, go play four shows. I, I muster my way through the fast metal shit that I'm not used to playing. Um, and, and they liked it. And they they said, well, hey, there's more shows. There's like actual tours coming up if, if you can do it. And I was like, well, shit, I, I got to like decide between you know, I, I just got my associate's degree at that point. I, I graduated early. Uh, I was, I was young. Um, and it, it was like, well, shit, I guess I could do that because I was going to college for music. And I was like, well, I could either go to college for music or I could do the thing that people that go to college for music want to do. So I said, let's, let's just cut to the chase and go on the road. So I did, um, very first tour was with the band called God Forbid out of New Jersey, um, which ended up becoming that band Bad Wolves years later. Um, and um, yeah, I, this was so long ago that you remember when uh, with cell phone plans, you had to like you, you had like only regional coverage and then roaming was a thing. Yes. Yes, I do remember that. So I didn't know this. I just thought a cell phone was a cell phone. I didn't know anything. I'm such a dumb kid. The second we leave Western Massachusetts, I'm like, I, I got a, you know, my girlfriend from still high school at that point, to, uh, you know, calling me every five minutes because she's like, oh, no, you're you're gone for the first time on the road. All the horror stories and everything. Yeah. Uh, I get home. I, I think we, you know maybe made 500 bucks on the whole tour and I get home to a $1,500 cell phone bill <laughs> because of all the roaming charges. So I was like, well, this is my first tour in, in the whole a thousand bucks. That is terrible, man. I can't even, yeah. I, I remember those days and the extra minutes and the, the free nights and weekends. So I can't imagine being in no. another state. Yeah. Yeah. So you end up, so you, you're, you're with all that remains for a while. You tour with some pretty major bands like War and Killswitch Engage. And then, yeah. you know, we know each other from the CKY days. What was yeah. the, what's the best part about touring for you as a musician? Cause I mean, you've been everywhere. You've been all over the world. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. What's the best part about you being on a tour and being able to just sort of experience everything? What's that like? That's it. Uh, getting to see places you would never dream to see. Uh, and I mean this in the way of like you, when someone plans a vacation, to, I don't know, say they want to go to Seattle, but they're from Massachusetts and, you know, all they know is the Space Needle or like Fisherman's Wharf and, you know, just the touristy stuff. Not only do you get to see that, you get to see the drive in, you get to see all the surrounding towns, you get to see the little truck stops outside to see the salt of the earth people like from the suburbs outside of the city. You get to see the crappy parts of town that the rock club is in because of course they're nowhere near the touristy points. So then you have to like see the, the true side of town, you know, like what the locals see. So you, you get to like really zoom in to this granular view of a, of a city and, and get to know it in the course of 24 hours. So um, it, it's not just like, Oh, I saw Paris. I saw Amsterdam. Like, no, I saw, I saw some shit there. Like I, I hung out with, people after the show who had a shitty apartment around the corner from the club. And like, you know, we smoked weed and hung out and like, he took me to the cool pub that the locals go to. Like you you get to, you get a cool treatment every city you're in. 
what has been, uh, I know another thing as far as cities and, and countries and stuff, I, I asked this to everybody I meet who's in music. I've asked it to pretty much everybody. What's mm-hmm. the wildest story? And it doesn't have to be anything like crazy and appropriate. I just mean like the wildest thing that's happened to you either domestically or internationally. Uh, cause I recall a story that I was told one time about, you know, getting into Russia. That was a pretty wild experience and just hearing the ins and outs mm-hmm. of being there. What's the wildest thing yeah. that's ever happened to you on tour? Like uh, either getting, getting there Russia. or anything. Yeah. Now I couldn't remember you were with them when you went to Russia. What was that process like getting in? Cause I know there was a lot of paperwork and things mm-hmm. and I know, I think it was a start and stop process for a little bit, right? That, that was a, a very weird situation, right? Yeah. So, um, it, it was part of one continuous tour. It's not like we flew into Russia. Right, uh, right. We, we were in Helsinki and we had a show in Helsinki, Finland. And there were there was to be two, dra- two days of travel, then a show in Moscow, then two days of travel and a show in St. Petersburg, and then a day off and then we fly home. So Russia was to end the tour. Um, we're in Helsinki, which very European, very cosmopolitan city. And they have this big, beautiful train station there. Uh, and um, one thing I, I found kind of funny is there are whole separate tracks that lead into Russia from Finland, unlike the tracks that connect the rest of Europe to Finland. There's different train measurements. And I think that dates back to something in World War II. Like, um, you know, a way to make sure certain trains from certain countries couldn't get in. Uh, They built entirely different tracks for Russia. Um, So you get on this train that's not like any of the other trains at the station. There's, you know, bullet trains going to Denmark, bullet trains going to wherever. There's an old ass train going to Russia and it's called the Nevsky Express. And it is Sounds terrifying. (laughs) Like just shitty. Wow. Um, And when you get on there, like we're like, oh, we have like sleeper cars. This should be good. So there are six people in our party and this sleeper car can maybe fit two people. And it, it, of course we have all our gear with us too. So we are just crammed on this hot, sweaty, stinky train. And I think it's like a 11 hour train ride to Moscow. But as soon as you get to the Russian border, it's passports, passports up, up German shepherds, AK 47s. Like, and at this point we were all in the dining cart, uh, and, uh, they had just decanters of vodka, like for the taking. And we're, we're just, they had one thing on the menu. It was this soup. No clue what it was. It was, we were eating it and we're like, this is really good soup. After a while, I was like, what does this mean? And it had taste buds all over it. And I was like, oh, it's cow tongue soup. Okay, great. So I'm just drunk as shit on vodka, full on cow tongue soup. There, now there's these big Russian officers, German shepherds, AK-47s, the whole nine. Got to show the passports. Um, that whole process took about two hours. And at that point, it was like three in the morning. So you are just like dead behind the eyes. And they do not like you. They do not like the, the Finnish people already coming over. And then, you know, they find out you're from America. It's like, oh, fuck this guy. So, yeah, they were not very friendly. But Russia was cool when we finally got there. Um, <laughs> but the whole experience was just like, oh, uh, I've never seen anything like this. Um, usually everywhere we go, you know, really first world, really cosmopolitan kind of cities, even if it's, you know, shitty places. Um, Russia is just otherworldly. But the people were great. We we had a blast there once we finally got there. But 
Yeah, that that was probably it. I can I can definitely recall some sort of like spotty stories about being in Russia and getting there with the passports and everything else. So I'm glad you provided a little bit of clarity on that. And I, I yeah. hope that I never have to ride that train. <laughs> like legit <laughs> no. sounds like like a, like its own horror movie, like its own genre. Yeah. Oddly so, enough, a week later, that train was bombed. No way. There was a politician on board that I think they were trying to get rid of. And uh, there there was a bombing that took place that like derailed. Not not a ton of people were hurt, but yeah, that, that was like a way too close for comfort. Yeah. I mean, you guys could have been on that fucking train. That's that is terrifying. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad, you know, obviously glad you made it home. Everything is good now. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Uh, one thing that I didn't know during our time hanging out is that you're a professional wrestling fan. I had no yeah. idea when, what's your earliest memory of professional wrestling for you and what got you hooked? So, 95. I, uh, went to a house show in Burlington, Vermont. Um, Undertaker versus comma casket match was Whoa. the main event. Um, the lead up was, uh, Owen Hart and the British Bulldog versus, um, Uh, (laughs) but it was a best of three falls match. And I remember, um, you know, I I was the world's biggest Owen Hart fan as a kid. Um, And I was so happy to see him. And that was the whole reason I was there. Um, But that was the most boring fucking match because it was a best of three falls match prior to a casket match. That was, you know, with the undertaker who was, nobody was bigger at the time. So the crowd was like restless, like get this fucking tag match over with. And it took like a solid 45 minutes wow. for the three falls to happen. So, yeah, that that was my first memory. Uh, also, the place where it took place was so old and so shitty, they couldn't turn the lights off when the uh, ding came in for Undertaker's theme song. So uh, just full lights, you know, the local basketball sign with this visitor home scoreboards and everything totally took it out of the uh, whole, you know, mystical Undertaker thing. It's funny you say The Undertaker and Owen Hart. That was actually also my first memory of wrestling. My dad took Mm -hmm. my brothers and I to the Spectrum in 1992, I think it was. And it was the main event was Papa Shango versus The Undertaker. So for me, like those characters that have that like sort of darker backstory or even like the character arcs that for me is just fucking amazing you're gonna get me every time but Owen Hart was also on that card and I remember being so hyped to see Owen Hart Mm -hmm. because he was way different than any of the other wrestlers he was the I feel like in a lot of ways one of the original high flyers like with Eddie was that the high energy era that was Jim Neidhart, I think it was. Yeah, whatever okay. that was. Yeah, I, or maybe it was Coco Beware. I think maybe it was Coco yeah. Beware was the tag team with the colored, like the polka dot yeah. or the, you know, the lines and shit. Yeah, it yeah. was crazy, man. And I remember just being hooked right away, you know, and, and, and you know, being able to now to look back at it and say, I got to see people like Owen Hart, Macho mm-hmm. Man Randy Savage, Razor Ramon, The yeah. Undertaker, all in their, like, pretty much either at their prime or before their prime, before they really took off. To me, yeah. that's, that's meaningful. And I'm sure, I know being the, big Owen Hart fan that you are. I'm sure it's the same for you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, unfortunately, after Over the Edge, that soured me on wrestling for a bit. And then uh, the other big thing was I I tried to keep up. 
the invasion angle I thought was a little silly as it was happening. Now that I go back and watch, um, see, I wasn't a WCW guy. I thought like I was an apologist, like for WWF, like this is the better program. WCW is just the knockoff. It's where the has-beens go to wrestle. Um, and so I didn't care about the invasion storyline until later. Now I go back and I'm like, oh shit, Dean Malenka was great. Chris Benoit was great. Everyone, there were some great wrestlers there. And to think of what it would have been if Owen Hart had stuck around with Jericho. Could you imagine yeah. an Owen Hart, Chris Jericho matchup? Oh my God. For the world uh, title, for the world title, nonetheless, that like to me and and Kurt Angle actually just tweeted something recently about him and Owen Hart. They had a dark yeah. match together. I think it was May 20, like it was shortly before Owen Hart's death. And yeah. I think about that was the beginning, the genesis of like right before the invasion happened, right before Ruthless Aggression. Could you mm-hmm. imagine not even just, you know, guys like Chris Jericho or Dean, Dean Malenko or Eddie Guerrero, guys like John mm-hmm. Cena. Guys like JBL, guys that could have sent them to the next level. I mean, like yeah. the, the possibilities are just fucking endless for me. And I, I think it is one of the biggest tragedies in wrestling is the fact that he died. Uh, did you oh, get yeah. a, did you get a chance to watch the Dark Side of the Ring episode? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, like the as it aired, yeah. I, I watched it. Um, So heartbreaking. But yeah, my God, like sometimes I'll, I'll go down little rabbit holes through like pro wrestling database and the overlap of the Hardys and Owen Hart, like that they existed in the same timeline and wouldn't like, if you gave that just two more years and like a, do you imagine like Jericho Owen versus Matt and Jeff or something like that? Or even too unreal. Think about too, like think about this way too, because you think about Bulldog, right? Because I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know that British Bulldog gets his his just due a lot of the times, but imagine yeah. a tag team like Owen Hart and the British Bulldog versus the Dudley Boys, and like mm-hmm. imagine for a second, sort of game out. What if Owen Hart and and the British Bulldog were involved in that TLC ladder match at WrestleMania with the Dudleys and Edge and Christian and, and the Hardys? That shit would have been insane. Like oh, yeah. I can't even. I I. It's so difficult to think about. When I yeah. when I think about Owen Hart, but uh, it's it's sort of amazing, and I think too with the invasion storyline, uh, when I go back and look at it and what they tried to attempt, I felt mm. like the attempt and and it was there, but I yeah. just don't know. I don't know where it failed. I feel like there was a lot of really great things that could have happened there. But when did you get back into it recently? Like what was the, what was the catalyst that sort of brought you back after Owen Hart? So <laughs> from eighteen on with touring, there was never time to watch. So you would occasionally catch a WrestleMania at a friend's house or or something like that. And you'd kind of work backwards like, oh, who's this guy now? Who's he feuding with? Why why does he now not like this person? It it took a while. Uh, And I'll admit uh, Royal Rumble 2020 was the first pay-per-view I sat down and like invited people over for. And um, I I was I was blown away, like especially the pop from Edge coming out. Yeah. I was like, my gosh, all right. And I I ended up getting a ton of favorite wrestlers out of that. Like seeing Keith Lee for the first time uh, was huge. Um, And then from there with coronavirus happening, um, I I, I had just started dating Tara, my girlfriend now, who also grew up a big wrestling fan. And she was the first girl I've ever been with that was a wrestling fan. Wow. So. COVID happened. WWE Network was on the TV. And I went back. Like, I said, you know what? Let's call it Raw is Owen and yeah. go forward. Um, 
So from Raw as Owen on, went back, watched all as many of the Raws as I could, as many of the uh, SmackDowns as I could, all the pay-per-views, all the Royal Rumbles, and then um, got into NXT a bit, you know, from like Nexus on and stuff like that. Um, so it, it took a while, but I'm like fully back. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, it's similar to what happened with me. I think I stopped watching around, I want to say when the NWO in the WWE kind of went belly up, that was when I yeah. sort of like, I was like, all right, well, this could have been great, but it wasn't. And now I'm, I'm kind of, I've turned off, right. Austin yeah. going heel didn't do anything for me. I, I was watching sort of off and on during the CM Punk years. Cause I watched, actually I got in Philadelphia. I was front row uh, when CM Punk and Jeff Hardy fought at night of champions, which was oh, absolutely cool. unfucking believable. Right. Yeah. yeah they yeah. fought for the That's big gold, match. which would they fall for the big gold, which to me, I'm like, I can't believe I watched that. But anyway, I digress. Uh, my son, my oldest son, James started to get into it. And I started back like the early days, you know, the hokey Hulk Hogan, Andre, the giant stuff. And he was super into it. And then he discovered Goldberg. And then from there, it was just like off to the races, you know, yeah. um, tell me, I guess for you as someone who has experienced the live crowd, I, and I, I ask this question often for folks who come on the show and we talk about wrestling, the, the closed door wrestling matches at, at WWE and, and, a, and specifically, I guess, to AEW as a fan, how did you feel watching that? Did you feel compelled to watch every week? I know there was a lot of complaints from people who were like, ah, oh, you know, it's not the same. It's not this and it's not that, which there is some validity to that. But I think mm. I'm more I think I'm more in the camp of I'm just excited to have something feel normal right now. Yeah, it I think it was such a big letdown coming off Royal Rumble and NXT TakeOver Portland. Um, both of those were such intense events. And then to just have it go pre Thunderdome, like quiet soundstage. That was so weird. And I would have preferred they piped in crowd noise from the start. Like the whole 316 day with Austin having to go, what? And then the crickets. I was like, fucking yikes. Yeah. But um, they they started figuring it out. And when they would have the 205 Live and the NXT guys fill in around the plexiglass, it started getting cool. Um, but, you know. Thunderdome's where they figured it out. Now that Daly's place is back to full cap with AEW, right? That's great. That was that watching Blood and Guts was great to see. And that's the thing, like Blood and Guts and WrestleMania 37. I felt like watching that. And my wife and I, we watch, you know, we're, we watch it together. She was, I, I don't know if you remember Courtney, but she is. We've been married now for almost ten years, and oh, wow. she was never into wrestling when we first got together. She said it was stupid and ridiculous. Now she's yeah. fully invested in the Roman Reigns Cesaro storyline, and she's giving me tips on what to ask Eric Bischoff when he comes on the show. Right, <laughs> so it's cool to have this relationship, and like the entire family's involved in it. But I think watching WrestleMania 37 and watching Drew McIntyre for me, right, the the big disappointment for me was Drew McIntyre. Watching yeah. that, being following, not just seeing him at the Rumble, but following that ascent for him and watching him continue to grow and become the person that he was. The last yeah. live event that I took the kids to was March 7th at a wrestling event where he fought Randy Orton. And to me, it was watching that again was like, holy shit, I cannot believe how much I missed a live crowd, how much oh, I yeah. missed the experience of being a part of this. Yeah. One of my favorite things, though, that came from that time. And I guess something that I'll always look back on is the cinematic match, the yeah. Firefly Funhouse, the Boneyard match, even the street fight in AEW, which I'm a big sting mark. I, I will always be a sting mark. I think he's fucking yeah. anything that guy does is gold. I think for me, and I asked this to Eric Bischoff, too, I think out of necessity, 
the John Cena fiend match became something bigger than what it could have been because yeah. they were able to tell the storyline differently. Same thing right. with the street fight. You have somebody like Sting who may not be able to physically perform the way he did about 20, 30 years ago. What do you think? What's your takeaways from that, from the cinematic match? And then just, just the, the closed door sets in general as a wrestling fan. So I, I think it's twofold. There was some real brilliance and moments of genius with uh, the Firefly Funhouse match was so fun to watch. Um, the Undertaker one, a little less so, but just from a wrestling standpoint, they were at least able to work more. Um, and I would love to have a redo and have AJ Styles and The Undertaker in the ring in front of the crowd. I mean, that's a match that deserves to happen, but, you know, say la vie. Right. Uh, it started getting hokey after a while. The um, uh, Bray Wyatt and uh, Braun Strowman one. Kind of dog yeah. shit. And, and, and I, I hate saying that because I love both wrestlers. Um, the AEW ones were great. This uh, street fight with um, uh, Trent and uh, Proud and Powerful, that, that that was incredible. And the Sting one was great, too. And for stories storylines like that, where they have veteran wrestlers coming in, it's like, do you really want to see Brian Cage give this guy a fucking powerbomb like in front of a live crowd with the adrenaline going? Or do you want it in a controlled environment? I would love to see Sting continue to wrestle. So right. good, good on that. Right. Um, or continue to walk nonetheless. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. It, it'll be good to see it come to an end. Cause uh, I, I don't think you can capture lightning in the bottle that many times. So um, it, it's good. And another thing is the crowd's going to be honest with you. And I think a lot of creative is getting a little too far up their own ass thinking like, Oh, this storyline's great because nobody's there to boo them. So, you know, like, would we have seen Retribution go on for as long as we did? Would we have, you know, poor fucking Dominic Dajakovic oh, yeah. and, and, and Dio Madden having to deal with that fucking horse shit. Well, also to Mustafa Ali, like, holy yeah. shit. And, and, and again, we'll, and we'll, we'll come back to, to Bray Wyatt in a second because I, I sort of have a comment about that and some of the new champions I have. But holy shit, the idea of Retribution. In the very beginning, in its inset and in, in the inception of it, something cool could have happened there. Something right. really cool could have happened there, mm-hmm. but it fell apart so quickly, and then it became a joke because you had these guys jobbing out to everybody, and then Mustafa Ali comes in, and like he's a fantastic wrestler, and he's incredible on the mic. It's oh, he yeah. reminds me a lot of Roman Reigns, where they finally, I th- and even Apollo Crews, they took the. They took the 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 the, the muzzle off them, right? They allowed right. them to just go out and and Paul Heyman it essentially. Mustafa right. Ali is just as good as these other two guys. I just don't think he, he gets his just due yet. Mm-hmm. And I think getting that stink of retribution off of them is going to take a really long time. And I think they're starting to do that with Dio Madden and, and Dominic Djokovic. But I think it's going to take a while. I think it's going to be a while. But I think you're right. Like, and when you and tying it back to what I was going to say was with Rhea Ripley. Or, you know, not so much Bianca Belair, but I think Rhea Ripley, uh, Keith Lee, some of the other larger stars that are starting to come up now into the organization, you're not getting that feedback. They're not learning the way that The Undertaker did or they're not learning the way that John Cena did where they can fly and do it, you know, off air. But so I think you're I think you're correct when you say this is a novelty. And I think once you do things like each company has sort of hit its peak with it, right? Firefly Funhouse was the peak and the AEW Street Fight was the the peak as far as the cinematic matches go. I don't know if I necessarily want to see it anymore now that the vaccines are rolling out and things are happening. The only thing I think that missed for me on the Street Fight was the fact that Taz wasn't involved in it physically. For me, the idea of seeing Sting and Taz go, like even just a face-off, I mean, I'm a huge Taz mark. So that would have been like... 
fucking crazy. If you don't even yeah. have to leave your feet, Tess. Just put somebody in a rear right. naked chokehold and, and call it a day. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, just something little. Just something enough to give me the, the ECW fan pop. Yeah. Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and the fiend Bray Wyatt frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all cuts and trims are by appointment only. So head over to their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your appointment now with Kane, Jordan, and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop. That's 10thwardbarbershop.com. And we thank them for supporting the podcast. So now you you actually work for AEW now, right? In a capacity, yeah. Okay, so what, um, yeah, what'd you do? So, uh... Mikey Ruckus is the music director for AEW. Uh, he writes all of the themes, all of the music, all of the music. The, he's the busiest guy I've ever met. And um, he signed a record deal with E1, which was the label CKY was on uh, for the Phoenix album in Too Precious to Kill. Mm. So they gave him a record deal for his own stuff. And also AEW has a deal with it as well. And it's all him. And he, I follow him on Twitter and I always respected him because I thought they had great music. Um, and one day he tweeted something out like, uh, I need a hook for a song. Somebody hit me up. And I, I work with this amazing singer in Nashville named Trista McIntosh. Uh, she finished fourth on Idol a few seasons ago. Sounds like Linda Ronstadt. She's like a vocal powerhouse. Um, so I... Uh, I, I reach out to Mikey Ruckus and I'm like, Hey, me and my girlfriend have a studio in her house. I work with a great singer. We can have this done, in, you know, in a half hour, send it over. We send him a hook to one of his solo songs. And he's like, Holy shit. You killed it, man. Thank you. You, you wrote this. You, you have access to her to sing. And I'm like, yeah, man. So uh, after that, he's like, well, I could start funneling a lot more work your way. So at this point, we've we've done a few themes. Uh, the AEW Heels uh, theme, like for the entire show, uh, we we did the music for that. Uh, a few other ones as well. Some stuff that hasn't come out yet that I can't talk about. Uh, I'm set to appear in a music video for uh, one of the songs that they use for AEW Dark Elevation, uh, the theme for that. Um, so there, there's some more stuff coming up soon, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm psyched. It's very early in the process now, but uh, as growing up a wrestling fan and being a musician, it's like, oh, this is the best of both worlds. Fuck, yeah, I, this is all I want to do. I was just gonna say, it seems like that that to me, like it's is it weird hearing your own music, you know, in the compositions or something that you were involved with, hearing it on on live television or just anywhere that's involved with a wrestling promotion? Yeah, that's got to be just just mind blowing, right? Yeah, yeah, hearing anything anywhere that you do is is just weird to me, like. I, I'm the biggest fucking dork ever. I'm not cool. And then it's like cool stuff happens to me like this. And it, it still blows my mind. I feel like it's just happening to someone else. So, so you're going to be in a music video. That's insanely cool uh, to see yourself on an AEW program. Um, have you been to any of the shows, the live shows now that AEW is starting to allow people to come in? Have you had that experience yet? And what's that, what's that been like for you? Not yet. Um, there were a, 
a couple of times where they thought maybe they'd be able to get me down for it. Um, but with vaccine protocols and COVID protocols, it was a bit different. Uh, now that they're going to start touring, I may be at some live shows. That, and uh, it, it may be something I have to be there for. So, uh, yeah, it's possible. That's really exciting, man. That's that is uh, for me too. Like I said, knowing you and, and knowing the music aspect and, and knowing that you're a professional wrestling fan, that's uh, that is insanely cool to be able to merge those two worlds together and and be you know be get paid for it. I mean, that's got to be again, it's living the dream. Mm, I do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Just hey, let me come to a show. I'm fine. Yeah. Just just I help did me. most of the music for free, anyways. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Why change? Right. Foundation Radio is brought to you by The Dugout. The Dugout provides custom quality apparel at an affordable price. Modern style mixed with classic designs, you'll find retro t-shirts brought into the 21st century. Adam has several of his favorite t-shirts in rotation from the team at The Dugout, including customized Dudley Boys, Prince and the Revolution, and the Notorious B.I.G. t-shirts. Right now, if you purchase your items through their Etsy site and use promo code FOUNDATION, you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's right, 15% off your entire order. Follow them on Instagram at the dugout brand follow the link on their etsy shop and use your promo code foundation for 15 percent off your entire order the dugout custom quality apparel at an affordable price uh i have a couple rapid fire questions for you if you don't mind before we wrap sure. up our chat here just because I, I i like picking people yeah let me try that sentence again i like picking people's brains i am a professional matt i promise uh and i i'm always curious about these things so what is your favorite all-time wrestling match WrestleMania 10, Brett versus Owen. Great choice. Great I mean, choice. That, that's just, they're both in their prime. Yeah. The entire choreography from start to finish is perfect. The crowd is going nuts. And it's an opening match that almost every single match couldn't follow on a WrestleMania. They, they blew it out of the water at first thing. And it's perfect start to finish. Runner-up A1 would be uh, Keith Lee versus Dominic Dajakovic at uh, NXT Portland TakeOver. Wow. That's a fucking clinic. Two big men just slapping meat. It's just... <laughs> big meaty men slapping meat. I love it. Exactly. That's great. Yeah. Your your favorite WrestleMania? Oh, shit. Um, pass. <laughs> There's too many. I mean, like, they're... 10 is a great one. Right. Uh, 17, 13, 13 incredible. Yeah, uh, dude. Yeah. It's Sid, Sid and the undertaker. That's a sleeper, man. I know people shit mm-hmm. on psycho Sid, but that match was a sleeper for me. Yeah. What's yours? My favorite uh, is 18, the, the rock and Hulk Hogan. I just, I can't get for me, okay. for me that match. And then, uh, you know, I know people shit on the match, but like, you know, Austin and, and, and Scott Hall. To me, like you can't get bigger than than that event. To me, like there's just nothing that's ever gonna be that's gonna top that for me, at least right now. Right. Um, the worst match of all time. Oh shit. Um <laughs> there's a bunch. Yeah. It's hard to pick just one. Because then I think about Judy Bagwell on the pole. I think about the dog kennel from hell. I think about uh what was the JBL and and was it Jacqueline? Uh, there's been a bunch oh, of really yeah. bad shit. Yeah. So my brain goes to the super showdown uh, with Kane, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker uh, and Triple H that just sucked and did nothing for any of their careers. Um, Maybe Brock versus Goldberg. 
when the 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 when the crowd knew the contracts were up and right. they were just like bullshit bullshit so yeah probably the super showdown one yeah, I, I think um, I, I would agree with you on that. The Super Showdown. I don't even think I watched it. I've just for personal reasons. I don't. I I can't really watch the Super Showdown uh, matches. Yeah. But I saw some clips of it, and I saw some of the uh, the network documentaries they did. And I was like, oh my god, this like Kane's mask fell off in the middle of the ma-. like. It was just with like, the hair on. too. Like, come on, guys, it's, it's, that's enough. Yeah, let's wrap yeah. this up. Uh, the worst gimmick of all time. Retribution. Just hands down, like secondhand embarrassment inducing, like juice chills. Uh, Outside of that, maybe the pose off between Triple H and Scott Steiner, where they they had, I think it was uh, Raw 2002. Oh shit, which one was that? Well, you know, Scott Steiner had drop foot. So they were trying to mask everything that he was doing by doing these insane things with Triple H. And it was just like, look, I, you know, I'm not going to give any commentary here, but I feel like there's a theme between Triple H and Booker T and Sting mm. when they wrestle Triple H. You know, I don't know. I'm just saying like Scott Steiner, they're all in that that field. But yeah, that was pretty that was pretty cringeworthy to watch that uh, that flex off. I had no interest in that whatsoever. I'm like, when am I going to get a Steiner recliner here? <laughs> like, oh, when yeah. is this just going to happen? Yeah, um, <laughs> the current. WWE in-ring talent you'd most like to see wrestle Kenny Omega. Ooh, for oh, so you got I would say maybe Buddy Murphy. He like because Omega's not a big guy. He would, you know, he's what maybe six foot. He he'd be a two hundred five live guy. Maybe maybe he's a little puffier than that now. Um, someone like a Buddy Murphy. Someone like a like a ricochet, somebody like that. A uh, high flyer guy, I think would be a great match. Maybe if you want to bump it up a little, like a Alistair Black or someone. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't do anyone, you know, like I, I wouldn't put Dijakovic in there. No, you know, no big no. boys. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even put him in the ring with Roman or Drew. I think, honestly, I, when you say Alistair Black, I think even just on the, the psychology of that would be yeah. incredible. The other person that comes to mind too for me a lot is Randy Orton. And I think he's like the biggest guy that I would see yeah. put in there. But I think the psychology behind that match would just be unparalleled. Right. So. He, he would tower over Omega a little bit, but it, he's he's still like a, a slim enough guy where it would make sense. Uh, and, and yeah, the, the way they work, the storytelling would be great. So that, that's a good choice. WWE and AEW, the forbidden door opens. Does it happen? I, I, I don't see it happening with... Vince around um, maybe further down the line, you, you get a new chairman in there, new something like that. It, it, it could happen. But then again, it's been their modus operandi to just pretend the competition doesn't exist until they prove otherwise, you know, like the impact thing makes more sense. I, I would, I would see um, maybe ring of honor opening up a little bit more too. But at that point, if you were to get, New Japan, Ring of Honor, Impact, AEW, um, OVW, which is uh, now ran by Al Snow and is having a big resurgence in, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee. If you get all those guys working together at some point, that starts to be like the territories again. So at that point, WWE has to kind of wise up and say, oh, shit, there's other territories now. People are able to watch wrestling. So you, you may see it happen if everybody else bands together. 
I'd be curious to see that happen because you're right. It would it would work almost in reverse and and realistically undo a lot of the work that Vince McMahon has done over the past, you know, 40 years. Yeah. It would go back to that NWA style. Here's the big belt. And then here's everybody else that's competing against each other. Um, right. Sting and The Undertaker face off. Who goes over? Undertaker. Uh, and I, I say that as someone who loves Sting. Um, he's a foot taller. He's about 50 to hundred pounds heavier. He's been doing it longer. I, I, he's just more menacing. It, it would be a squash, I think. And I hate to say that. Matt Dice, it is always great to see you. Always great to talk to you. I hope that we get a chance to catch up somewhere between Pittsburgh and Nashville pretty soon. Absolutely. Um, what's, uh, what's next on the radar? Any other musical projects you got coming up? Um, so yeah, I've got, uh, got a, string of regional shows with uh, Tristan McIntosh, like throughout the Southeast. Uh, for better or worse, music is kind of back to full capacity here in the South. Um, I'm double pricked up, so I mean, I'm your five. Your five G is good now, yeah. Your service. Oh yeah, is great. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real shame about Bill and Melinda. I got yeah. that newsletter <laughs> sent over first. I everything um, st- everything stopped, and I like blacked out, and I was like, "It was the news." I don't know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, a couple regional shows uh, coming here and there. A lot of writing, um, and just moving into this house, getting the studio set up so I can um, get to work with some of the themes and everything. Uh, and like I said, my girlfriend Tara, she's an audio engineer. Oddly enough, she uh, trained in the same studio that All That Remains did all their early albums at. But I had never met her. She she worked as an engineer at that studio down the road from my house. But it wasn't until Nashville where we met. And it was like, you lived in the same town as me? Like, what the fuck? So, yeah. <laughs> Small world, right? Everything Small comes full circle eventually. Mm-hmm. Matt, Matt Dice, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you stopping by the show today. And it was always a pleasure catching up. Great to see you again, man. I'm happy everything's going great. And uh, yeah, hit, hit me up. Let's talk offline. Will do, man. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and executive produced by Adam Barnard. The show is also produced by Sam Kreps. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Our intro and outro music is produced by Dumb Ugly. Find this episode and our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, proprietor. Proprietor.